and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Here we go. Elizabeth Williamson, I am beside myself that I finally get to interview you, having known you for so long, for She's the Boss Chats. And Jules, I am so delighted to be here. It's (laughs) always a pleasure chatting with you, and I'm sure we'll have a good time and hopefully create some um, some interesting stories. I I think we will. You're a very interesting woman. So let's start off by telling everybody what it is that you do now. Well, I help people with really complex, challenging conflicts, whether it's the argument you have with yourself, the argument you're having in the family, or workplace conflicts. Okay. Um, Yeah, the the chaos and the confusion that conflict uh, brings up for people. I I hope it makes sense of that and see what's really contributing, what's behind this so that people can take control of um, the the, the situation, understand, take control and resolve things and then take those skills forward. Yep. Into their other relationships. And you are amazing. Work at all sorts of levels. (laughs) Yeah, well, that, that, I mean... I'm still working on that elevator pitch. It's perfect. but um, Oh, no, I think that's really so good. I, but now I want to know why. Why have you chosen, out of all the areas <laughs> as a psychologist that you could go into, why conflict? What 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 Was there something well, that actually, happened? Social, oh, look, it's a bit of a story. So I'm a social worker. Okay, sorry. Not a, yep, not a okay. psychologist. That's okay. So social work is a profession that has this strong sense of social justice to it. Right. So, you know, it looks at the complex, it's a systems theory, it looks at, the complexities behind things. So that's one thing I bring from my profession. But the other thing is I was just dreadful at conflict. I really kept creating all these conflicts in my own life. Right. Largely because of my family circumstances because that's where we all learn about relationships and I had to make sense of it. So um, um, I had to dive deep and work out why things weren't working the way I wanted to after several things went wrong professionally and personally and um, combined that with with realizing that I loved doing coaching and therapy. Um, and when you step into therapy, you're dealing with conflict. That's very true. With conflict with their mood or with other people in the family or with themselves. Um, and uh, I've trained as a, a Gottman Method a relationship therapist and that is a huge component of conflict resolution in there. Right. And I, um, I mean, it's really interesting. And then I'm an accredited mediator, so I work with businesses. Yeah, amazing. Uh, you know, I might have seven or eight people in a room facilitating resolving a business-related conflict. Hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting area to get into, I think, and and I, I, yeah, applaud you for being in it because I definitely think we all need it, that's for sure. So, all right, well, look, let's go back and work out how you got mm-hmm. to where you are now. So, can you take mm-hmm. me back to when you were a little girl and tell me where you okay. grew up and what kind of a family you grew up in? Uh, okay, well, I grew up in a very interesting but weird family. <laughs> uh, interesting but weird <laughs> is good. Well, and But in a very boring time. So I grew up in the 60s. Right. Uh, I was born in 59. And you think the 60s um, is boring time, a boring time? Oh, when you where, where I grew up, yeah. I mean, I wasn't a teenager. I was, you know, just going to primary school and, you know, we we had the racism and the understanding of Indigenous people didn't exist. Um, no, so, that's you know, I was learned. So the first stuff I think for me was some of the ridiculous things I heard 
And they just, you know, that, um, oh, you know, the original thing was all the Tasmanian Aboriginals had died. Yeah. Uh, didn't exist any. They didn't exist. Well, because of that movie uh, came out when we were younger as well, didn't it? About yeah. Trugganina, yeah. Wasn't it um, Truganina was the last, was that the last? Anyway, yeah, awful stuff, yeah. yeah. And, so um, where was this? Sorry, you, know, you said in in your your area. Oh, so I grew. So I grew. Yeah, I grew. A lot of my life actually was in a new housing estate. So there was nothing there but houses, right. and you you know you drove to shops. So it wasn't. Um, it, it wasn't a, a strong community. Although lovely, I was really lucky that adjacent when we moved there, adjacent, there was some horse uh, adjustment paddocks and a, and a creek that hadn't yet been built up. So I, I had this nice division between. Um, Nature and um, the urban sprawl starting. The urban sprawl, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and where there was, was no this? picture theatre. This is in Modbury. Is, is this which South is Australia? In the northeast, yeah, right. yeah, in the northeast of South Australia. Okay. So we'd have grapevines, you know, sprouting in the backyard because we probably used to grow sultana grapes there or something like that. Yeah, gorgeous. Um, yeah. So it was a, it, you know, the world has changed so much, thank God, since then. Um, but, uh, you know, I think. I grew up in a family with my father was a quite a troubled man. Right. Um, and he was quite racist. He was a member of the, um, um, they called the Freemasons, so he didn't like Catholics. Right. Um, <laughs> I didn't know Freemasons didn't like Catholics. No, that's right, but it's official policy. Oh, God. Uh, oh, my God, really? Uh, <laughs> Intoler- intolerance is in our creed. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's shocking, I hope isn't it? It may not be accurate. Don't fact check me on that one. But anyway, um, and just, just you know, this he was a very intolerant man, and so I grew up, you know, arguing with him all the time. So surprising, why am I interested in social justice? <laughs> um, and my mother, I think, you know, was probably fairly depressed and unhappy in that relationship. Anyway, I I was an only child. Oh, and you were so the only parents, child. No buffer. Yeah, my parents. No, no. Yeah, right. And my mother was 42 when I was born, so she'd been single for some time. Wow, and that was, I mean, and not not no disrespect to your mum, but super old in those days, wasn't it? I mean, God, my mum was having babies by the time she was 23, 22, 23. She had a couple. Yeah. So it must yeah. have been very hard for your mum um, to be the oh, old mum at school because now, you know, it's so different, but... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And a single child was a rare thing. So that was, you know, I was seen as something that was wrong. Yeah, right. We were the brothers and sisters. It was a very judgmental time. Mm. Um, and a new ha- our new housing area was very Anglo or British. That was right. about the only thing. I think we had a Eurasian boy come in year seven and every girl, you know, fell in love with him. It's just like <laughs> gorgeous because it was exotic. Gorgeous, yeah. Um, yeah, but, you know, so it was a very um, – Oh, it's sterile, I suppose, environment. But I was a very curious person, so um, you know, I think that that's part of it. But also, my father, as I said, was troubled, so um, he kept having arguments with people, and you know, there'd always be you know, he'd have conflict with the person next door, or he'd have the person down the street, right? His aunt, his sister, and they never made sense to me. So, you know, in later years, I you know, I realised he's probably um, had some personality problems or personality disorder. Um, but at the time it didn't, he just didn't make, he, nothing he did made sense. Right. And so, again, I think the other thing that made me terribly curious was that it was just constantly these bizarre, you know, conflicts he'd have and I wouldn't understand what it meant. But, you know, I suppose it wasn't meant to talk to someone or I'd hear all the complaints. Um, 
He was a lawns bowl enthusiast, so there was always, you know, conflict <laughs> oh, gosh. on the committee of something right. or other. Okay, <laughs> so, so t- talk to me about school then. Did you enjoy school, um, particularly, say, <laughs> secondary school? Oh, well, so, so that was the next bizarre thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, having gone to this, you know, very um, uh, Anglo-white school, yeah. um, my mother was very keen to me to go and get a, to go to a, a you know, private college, so I got a sort of semi scholarship to go to a Lutheran high school. Ooh. Now I was the only; there were two non Lutherans in the school, so everybody in the in the school was either a first, second, or third cousin, and probably everybody had a pastor or someone like that in their family. Oh right, yeah, okay. And none of it made sense to me because they really did hate Catholics. You know, we used to have an annual. I'm I'm being very flippant here, <laughs> you know, but but Martin Luther was the guy who pinned the. 23 or 32, you know, uh, statements against Catholicism and started uh, Protestantism. So, uh, Gosh, I didn't uh, know, you know any of that. Yeah. And so, and they're very, very Christian, and I didn't, didn't go to church or anything. So, again, a very um, different kind of experience for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not, people's families were bizarre because it makes sense to me. And, um, uh, very conservative. Right. Very conservative. So, and everyone was interrelated. So were you desperate <laughs> to get out of school? I mean, did you enjoy it or, or were you just desperate to yeah, finish? Yeah, I was. Oh, no, look, lots of things happened. So the other thing that happened when I, just after my 13th birthday, when I, I was trying to make sense of this strange world, yeah. was my mother had been sick for some time and had an operation and um, um, oh, she died up the day after my 13th birthday. Oh, my God, everyone Elizabeth. Yeah, everyone kept it a secret. Oh so I think God, I found even... out about two weeks before she died. Um, oh, wow. And because it had been a secret. It was a terrible um, shock. Well, yeah, look, it was the, all the bizarreness, you see. So this is um, how it was handled back then. Um, so when I was in primary school, my I was having nightmares about how sick she was. I was really worried, but no one was talking about it. But then one night my father said, oh, you're going to the doctors. And I said, Wrong with me, but it was seven o'clock at night. No one went to the doctors at night. No, in 1973 no. or seventy-two. Anyway, um, off I went, and uh, the doctor father sat in the waiting room while the GP, I sort of knew, you know, family doctor, explained that my mother was dying. Oh my God, your dad then, wasn't even there. It's such no. another time, isn't it? When you think yeah, he, now, you yeah. would imagine that he would cuddle up next to you while this was happening. God, yeah, how awful yeah, for you. Yeah. And then he came in once that had happened and we drove home and, you know, spoke to my mum about it for the first time. Uh, and I think it was only a few days later she was taken into into palliative care. So, um, Oh, my goodness. So that was tragic. Yeah. Then. How uh, old was so she, then, by I the mean, way? I mean, then. So she, oh, she's 52. Wow, very young. 52. Wow. Yeah, bowel cancer. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think um, no one knew what to do. So, um, but I also think my father probably didn't want any attention taken away from him. Right. It is my sort of hunch, right? Right. Given his personality. So I wasn't allowed to go to the funeral. Oh, my goodness, Elizabeth. So this is, you know, this, yeah, I know, it's like it's, it's all the things that you shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, classic. So, but, so. but my school, my school sent a, uh, a deputation of three students to the funeral. Right. 
to support me. And even though, though you I weren't allowed that. to be there. Yeah, including one girl I didn't really like. Gosh. <laughs> and I wasn't there, so that was really, you know, because I begged to go and I was like, no, no, you can't go. Wow, how um, strange. So how did that affect yeah. the rest of school for you? And especially 13, I mean, it's right when you're getting your periods, puberty. Yeah. And you've got a dad that doesn't really want to talk to you. Yeah. You know, dealing with grief and dying is a very complex thing, but my mother had very drugged with, you know, this is a long time ago, so the way they deal with painkillers was probably atrocious compared to now. But anyway, she was constantly asking the nurses to buy birthday cards. And so I knew, even though I couldn't talk with her because she was so um, medicated, um, I knew, you know, her thoughts were with me. And the fact that she died the day of my birthday was also, um, you know, her gift. Right. Her gift to me. Yeah. So I knew she waited. Um, But I didn't get to say goodbye, you know. this was So what actually happened was I was at school and, again, this is just the bizarre things, I was at school um, one of the senior students came to the classroom and asked me to go to the uh, principal's office. Yeah. I sat with this oh, just most severe uh, German background bloke like nobody liked. Anyway, well, he told me that my mother had died. Oh. My father was on the phone and then I had to catch a taxi back home. Well, there's another part of the story. I had to catch a taxi back home by myself and it was like a 45-minute trip so I'd, I'd you know, I was, didn't know what to do with the tears and what I was feeling. When I got back home, my dad was on the phone and he just kept being on the phone while I sat in the lounge room by myself. Oh. Happened. oh, my goodness. All right. Well, let, look, let's yeah. move on from this terrible. I have to see the next. The next oh, no, no, okay. Well, it's, no, it's, no, tell yeah, me. It's just families are bizarre. This is why I do family therapy and family yeah. conflict. Yeah. <laughs> because they're bizarre. Um, the last little skeleton in the comp, uh, in the, uh Closet was two days later. Yeah. Uh, my father admitted that he'd been married before and had two other children. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Which made sense of a whole lot of s- stuff. But the, I, um, he was terrified of his ex-wife because she was, I don't know, vicious. Right. Um, and I wasn't to tell anybody about this. And how old, <laughs> and how old were your step, stepbrothers oh, and sisters, like much older than uh, you? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah right. They'd be, you know, 10 10, oh. 12 years older. Oh, how so, unsettling um, on every single front. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a, I guess what it shows is resilience. It does. It certainly, you know, left me with some dents and bumps. Um, and my father, and the, the ending of the that series, chapter of my life is that my father married uh, Again. The, six months later. Yeah, the nurse, the community nurse who'd been coming to visit my mother, who, thank God, he did that because we did not get on, obviously. Your dad, um, but did you get on with the nurse? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Nancy good. was lovely, and she, I mean, you know, she came into a thirteen-year-old, and she was had never. She was in her late forties, had never had kids, wow. had been married. So, and your dad um, had his third marriage without having let you know yeah. about the first one. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Okay. So, so talk so that to me was about a, yeah, yeah, crazy time. So, what was school like after on the back of that? I mean, did you withdraw, or did you, what, what? What did you? How did you no, cope? No, no, I was, I was, I think I was an adequate student. I, I, you know, loved the arts and loved debate and loved interesting ideas. But I was in a very conservative religious environment. So, um, I had a wonderful teacher though, who a couple of wonderful teachers. One particular who um, took me 
I don't know if you could do this now. She took me to some events at the Adelaide Festival of Arts. Okay. And I saw one of Graham Murphy's early um, uh, ballets, which was about John Genet. You know, it was like, was, was just, was so wicked. Yeah. Um, and that just introduced me to a whole other world. Uh, you know, I'd been in an environment where I was trying to find people who thought differently and thought flexibly and debated ideas and, there was a little bit of that, but it was very hard to engage in it. Um, so it was always, right. I guess what I'm saying is the story of me in those formative years is pretty much like being the outsider looking in. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, now, knowing mm. the person that you are now as well, to have had such a sort of strange <laughs> conservative, <laughs> well, the con- conservativeness, the isolation, the, your mum dying and, and the way that your dad dealt mm. with it. Wow. Mm. Well, it's certainly uh, made for a fabulous woman as an adult. But let, let, <laughs> let's. Uh, I, I don't want us to run out of time, and I want to hear a bit more no, about your yep. story. Mm. So, um, you went through to the end of year twelve, I assume. What did you do then? Yeah. Well, then you know, in those days, back in last century, yeah, you know, the, the, <laughs> the options, the options for women were: do you want to be a secretary, a nurse, or a teacher? And I didn't want to do any of those. And also, edu- uh, you know, the Whitlam government just brought in education. So the other thing that happened towards, you know, as I was 13, 14, 15, is the Whitlam government came in and the world changed. And suddenly the world made sense to me. Right. All the introductions of the Whitlam government were exactly what I wanted to see. So this was this huge transformation of Australian culture. Right. Um, yeah. And so uh, I could go to university for free and, and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I think I wanted to do history and chemistry. Right. The history of chemistry or something, right? which you could probably do now. <laughs> something really useful, yep. Yeah, sure. Anyway, I ended up doing social work because, you know, I was, everyone said, oh, but you're so nice to talk to. <laughs> so uh, with not much thought there, so off I went and um, stayed that for a while, so I didn't like it. I inherited some money through my mum's estate when I turned 21. I'd got married. What? Somewhere in there, but crazily. like really young. Did you get married very young? Yeah, I was nineteen and a half. Oh wow, was that about and getting I, away from home? Do you think? Oh well, I was hot. We were living together, and in that stage, that was called living in sin. Yes, it was. <laughs> do you recall that? <laughs> That's how old I am. Living in sin. I remember my stepmother saying to me one day, oh, "I saw Auntie Margaret. She asked how you were, and I, d- I didn't know what to say." <laughs> <laughs> you poor thing. Okay, wow. So 19, you're living together, and by 20, what did you say? You were married oh, by when? I was married at 19 and a half. I think we started living together probably when I was 18 and a half, 19. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Got my parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're just far too young. And he's a lovely man. You know, I, Are you still I friends? Think, well, no, I've lost contact. But, look, you know, I always have this fantasy with him. He'll be at my funeral, you know. <laughs> 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 I no idea why I have that fantasy, but anyway. And so, you know, he's, yeah, he was a good, he was a good guy. Okay. Um, so, that, yeah, so what do you do when group. you get married at 19 and you've just finished uni or have just finished school? I oh, you're at uni. Was both students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a med student and you know, I was a – my parents were very excited because I thought I'd been, you know, done it, <laughs> got the doctor. They didn't realise it was years and years and years of study. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that fell apart pretty quickly um, and we separated and uh, – Did you well, have we didn't kids? Get no, no, no. Like okay. it, it fell apart oh. within like a year. Oh, okay. Really quickly, and um, but we didn't get divorced for ten years. So, oh right. You know, we were sort of connected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Lazy. So, what do you do then when you're twenty-one and divorced already? <laughs> and uh, well, no, and not divorced, but separated. Separated yes, and living in Adelaide. Yeah. 
<laughs> so that's why you, you choose to go around the world with absolutely no preparation and do it by yourself when you're very blonde and, uh, you know, braless and you go, oh, well, I'm, I'll, I'll go on a trip around the world. So I went to the States. Okay. And then I went to, I went to Central America and uh, fell All in by yourself? Oh, yes. Wow. You know, tw- 21 and stupid. Really I know, but that's stupid. very brave as well. Yeah. Especially in those yeah. days when, you know, yeah. everybody wasn't doing gap years. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So um, I fell in love with uh, Latin culture and I lived for some time in Guatemala, about six months actually. Okay. Um, um, with li- very limited Spanish um, and had, yeah, it was an interesting time. I had, uh, uh, I, <laughs> I, uh, I lived in it with a Kachikil, uh, some Kachikil Indians who I right. met through someone. Uh, and learnt to weave a bit and then realised I didn't really want to learn to, you know, I didn't like weaving enough to continue it. But um, that was fantastic. I had that insight into um, their life and their accent was meant that they put every R uh, into a sh. So right. I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> um, um, but also I had no idea about poverty and about, um, you know, rural life and it was during the Civil War so there were some times where things were quite dangerous. I imagine. I remember one week, yeah. yeah, one week the army was, because Guatemala's quite a, still a, a place of great conflict. Um, I remember there was a week where they, did, they didn't really want me going outside of the family compound, which had some farming area and the houses and stuff, um, because the army was going through the smaller aldeas, the smaller you know, villages outside of the area, um, and they didn't want to know that they, you know, anyone had a gringa around, you know. Wow. So, um, yeah, you'd hear gunfire at night in the cities. Um, it, so again, how long did you, how long did you stay there? <laughs> six, in the middle of a war. Yeah, six <laughs> months. So, so what did you do after that? Uh, well, uh, I came home. I came home. And in, in between I would got robbed in a little place called Belize, which used to be a, a British uh, colony, yes. just becoming organised to be independent, and I had everything stolen. So I had no passport, no clothes, no oh, travel chips. So uh, I had solved that problem, uh, and and that included going to see the governor of Belize and getting a Belizean passport because I was a Commonwealth citizen. Wow! So, so I travelled into, Guata- into Guatemala on my Belizean passport, and and um, then Guatemala declared not war, but you know they wanted to do a Falkland Islands type battle over some shit. Islands with Belize, so there I was on a Belizean passport in a very aggressive country, wondering what would happen. So, why am I doing conflict? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it says it all. <clears throat> it does, so, doesn't it? Right. So you you came back to Australia, having yeah left that very exotic kind of life yeah. that you'd been living. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did you do when you came back? Well, I finished my degree, and I wanted to be a filmmaker. It was what I thought I would do. <laughs> You're great. Um, <laughs> I want to be a film producer yeah. um, and tried doing that with some, eventually I got a, a job in community development and um, was trying to work at how I can do this thing from doing social work. I thought, okay, I'm going to be a community worker. You know, I'm going to work with people to make change. Uh, but just to, and I saw it with a group of um, women who were setting up a um, community centre in a new right. housing estate. Uh, but that just meant more arguments because the women on the committee would fight yeah. And then as things developed, they, they would fight at home because their husbands were pissed off that they were not home enough. You know, they weren't home to cook tea. They were out at a meeting or doing something. 
My house wasn't clean enough. Shocking. Know? It's just shocking to hear these kind of things, isn't it, when you think <laughs> of what life is like now? But, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I, I remember those days. Okay. And mm. so, um, yeah, so what so, did you do next? Oh, what did I do next? So, um, oh, look, I I, um, I did work on a film eventually, um, but that was after I'd met uh, my kid's father. So he was a, a writer about to have his first novel published. So I fell in love, you know, with um, Artistic the men. exotic idea of a writer. <laughs> and I was, remember reading the, the, you know, the manuscript on the bus and train and um, I just didn't realise the tortured soul most writers are. Yeah, well, that's so that, right. And also how introverted they are because they're writers. Mm, they're not yeah. making things that are outward <laughs> well, in the it's same very way. Interesting, you know, that's right. And it's also very interesting. Um, uh, there's a, a physician and uh, expert on trauma, uh, Gab- Gabor Maté, and he talks about that we, we connect uh, in our deepest relationships with people who have a it's about the same level of trauma as we do. So if we don't work through trauma, we keep. So I keep you know, one way of looking. At why do you keep having the same relationship over and over again? Ah, so uh, yeah, I right. kept having the same relationship where the elements of my father were present. Right. Just differently. Right. Not Just something you want and to I've repeat. Done, and I've done that. So, you know, in most of my my um, relationships, my marriages right. or, or sexual relationships. Yeah. So. That was good to realize that what I was doing eventually. But the, so I had two beautiful children. Um, yeah. But that relationship fell apart after about six years and I had to, he was financially abusive. So I Ooh. left when I had enough money to buy two beds for my kids. That was my, right. luckily so, there was a, got a free fridge and a free. But where, where's the house though? Where's the roof? Uh, just, I, I, um, I actually left and stayed with some friends down the road. Right. So didn't you know where I was? Um, and then I stupidly, and I went and just rented a house in a few suburbs away. But I stupidly, and that was the time, you know, it was the sort of eighties um, where I thought, uh, or the nineties, I suppose, but then when I thought, oh, um, I'll um, I'll share custody because I can't take the kids away from their father. Right. But I really needed someone to have given me advice to say. An abusive person is still abusive. Yeah, regardless of whether ends. you live with them or not. That's so, right. did it really and affect the kids? Well, I, I think I think it's really tough being a child going between houses. You know, my yeah, daughter, who's I now agree. in mid thirties, says, "Look, I don't ever know what routine is. You know, I live my whole life in a suitcase. Yeah, so, right. I don't think I would do that as a lifestyle. And I think you know, it's good to reflect whether it really is good for kids to do that. But I guess we don't know what else to do at this stage. No. Um, no, but yeah, and he just wouldn't cooperate. He just right. Um, uh, he would not uh, like if I got my daughter involved in netball. He wouldn't take her to the netball matches when it was his week. Yeah, because when it was I, his week, it was his week. I know huh? that. <laughs> I know that feeling very well. I'm sure there are uh, lots we of women really, listening who that, know. Uh, there would be un- loads, I am sure. Yeah, so coercive talk- control, isn't it? But look, yeah. what had happened though was that um, there was a local women's community community centre near where we were living when I was when I was still with uh, kid's dad. And so I'd gone there, got involved in the management committee, and then one day they said, would you like to run a program, which uh, someone had named uh, Motherhood and Sanity. 
And so I, I, I love that title. I want it. Yes, yes, So I, I started running that and then I went into, when I was pregnant with my second child, I was very depressed. I realised the marriage was not or the relationship was not what I needed. Right. So I went to an amazing group therapy, none of which would be um, is credible now. A lot of what right. we did was credible. But I, I you know, I really hung out worked. with a group of women. And it, it made, I was because it was with a group of women, I could see that it wasn't just me and we supported each other. Um, and, and some of what we did was really, really was excellent. So just a few things like beating a pillow with a stick to release anger is really not, it's not shown to have any effectiveness, but it was very popular back then. <laughs> right. Um, okay. And so then I discovered the thing that I would, thought I would never do, which was um, uh, I just discovered I loved therapy. I just uh, So I eventually got a, a, one of the women who were running the therapy group, a psychologist, asked me if I'd like to come and do some work at the, local community, at the state government-run community health centre, do some, some fill-in. And so I just kept learning. Right. Um, but it was the one thing I thought I'd never do. One thing I thought I'd never do. So Amazing. isn't life Curious how it, it throws us into things. It is, absolutely. And mm-hmm. so um, talk to me about, I guess because this she's the boss, I want to talk a bit about your career and what it was like running your own business. So take me up to the stage where you started running your own business. Yeah. Well, um, I dabbled on the side for some time, just taking, you know, after-hour appointments or weekend appointments or part-time. So I always yeah. had a little practice on the side and I kept training and learning and it was around, you know, I started in the era when um, child sexual abuse was just becoming the issue. So I was working with a lot of women around, you know, childhood trauma and, and um, you know, making sense of that. And so it was a big shift again, that sort of radical shift in what was Massive, happening around yeah. uh, our understanding of how families work and, and, you know, it wasn't strange or danger that we need to pay attention to. Um and um, then I moved into corporate psychology after I ran. Then I moved into I ran a domestic violence service for a while. So there was the what service? Again. Sorry, what did you say? Domestic violence service. Oh right, for okay. Five six years. Right. And then I, so I was. What well, I would discover there was a conflict between the domestic violence services, which I couldn't <laughs> understand. No, well, who that's, was more feminist than who? That's a big irony there. Was, there. I know. It, I, I'm sure it doesn't exist now. I'm sure, and it might just have been a South Australian thing. But yeah. it was really interesting for me to discover this conflict between women and women's organisations, and what was that about? Now, of course, that's all people. Um, you know, we need to be not naive enough that the you know the problems you have in certain organisations are people, not gender. Um, yeah. But it was just very, yeah, interesting. Again, I felt like I was on the outside looking in. Um, we started to do some really innovative work and we wanted to take, so we, I, you know, this was the thing, also a thing about being in the right place at the right time and I, it was the right place but wrong time. Right. So I'd come in to reform a women's collective that had run, you know, as a collective, a domestic violence centre. They were all set up in the 70s and 80s but had imploded. So I came in to do a restructure and I just stayed too long. I learned that first thing about management is, you know, you reform right. and then you go. But yep. no stayed and uh, we were trying to start a discussion about getting women in business as ambassadors around domestic violence, young women who could, right. cha- you could take the conversation, that could change the conversation and uh, we were going Which to start a charitable. Which is, of course, what, what is very common now. I mean, all the women's groups are yeah. all supporting domestic yeah. violence. 
Yes, yeah, exactly what we do now, right? But it was controversial yeah. back then. Yeah, I bet. it was also controversial that I that we wanted to put uh, the, the board and I wanted to start talking about uh, human rights as, as the first issue, not feminism, and that was controversial. Mm. Uh, and that imploded. So I, 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 I don't think I had the management skills. Yeah. Um, you know that we know things. I've learned a lot from failure. Um, but I also think <laughs> high fives for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I also learned about, and again, come back to my father, what you learned, is that we had a very narcissistic, dangerous person on on our board. And right. so, when the board was about to question him about some conflict of interests, he took the whole board down. He, he did a deliberate what do you campaign. Mean? Well, he um, he started to ring board members continuously about various issues. He, oh. um, yeah, he he he. Oh, he, so he really was, just be, be, put the old um, put the chisel in there to try and yeah, separate everybody yeah, and yeah, have everybody yeah. questioning he, everyone else. Yeah, he actually had, a number of our staff had trained with him because he was a family therapist, and um, I you know later learned he was renowned for this sort of behaviour. So he's right. a, a very misogynist man who got onto a board and created havoc. Uh, very powerful man still. Sounds yeah, terrible. He, he, so you got, he, did you uh, get out? Uh, I was smashed out. Right. <laughs> That's the easiest way to say I didn't. I didn't escape. Um, but I did learn about um, one thing that, that you know, it's informed of my work around conflict is around uh, narcissism and um, yes. highly controlling people and, and how that works in organisations and that's really informed. Or doesn't work as the case may or, be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, how common it is and then, yeah. you know, that over time, I, I, so now, you know, it's one in ten people who probably have the personality disorders or, or, or are conflict-driven um, yep. that disrupt and we need to be informed about that but we don't really know what to do. Most people don't know what to do. So that led me, you know, eventually in my business to focus on about when about the time we met, conflict and difficult and demanding people, the people who are really um, are conflict-driven and, and because no one likes conflict and we avoid it. Um, well, it's funny you should say that because I was talking about it with someone the other day because – we were talking about how you deal with conflict and I am a scream, not as, well, I said screamer and she completely was horrified, but I was kind of like, I yell. I definitely yell. I grew up in a fa- family where we yell uh, around our dinner table. We would have heat, what I would call heated debates and we would mm-hmm. yell at each other. Mm-hmm. And so I don't find yelling in any way confrontational or aggressive or anything else most of the time. And yet, obviously, around me, people do. <laughs> so I, I just think it's really interesting to see. So we would call it debating. And yeah, we would just, yeah. and I, you know, with my partner now, I would have an argument with him and my voice would raise and he would immediately shut down yeah. and go, I don't like, I don't believe in yelling. And it's like, but that's how you have discussions. So, so it's everything we learn in our interesting. family. You know, it is yeah. all, all of our, so I think, you know, what I've learned about conflict, coming back to, to, to the business, so I started with the counselling business and then I realised that um, I still wanted to work at a, at a bigger level. I, I had trained as a mediator in working in um, the corporate psychology area. So that was a fantastic experience for about 10 or more years of working in corporate yeah, psychology yeah. where you were counselling or you were coaching a manager or you were mediating disputes or you were coming in and consulting and I just loved all of that and I want to continue doing it. So when I set up Elizabeth Williamson Solutions, I wanted to grow a business that would do exactly what I do, you know, help people 
with their internal conflicts that in endlessly then will become the conflicts they have with people in relationships and they'll play out in the workplace. And so if we can if we can um, deal with conflict better externally, we start to heal some things internally. So and that's what um, it comes down to. Yeah. So now as a conflict person, and I know you're going to do a learning table for me later this year. Mm, yes, um, to Which that. I'm very much looking forward to. But I'm interested in the phenomenon of trolling because oh, yeah. it's not something that I actually, to be honest, have ever really experienced online. But mm. I know, we, I mean, we we hear about uh, mm. very successful people that get it, mm. and you know, there are there are people who've killed themselves over the the trolling that they get. Have you got any sort of thoughts on what's going on with that and the prevalence of it? That, that is it because they've got they can hide as they do um, it. It's interesting. I was listening to a, a conversation about this just recently. And um, it was actually on, you know, ABC Radio. And yeah. uh, someone rang in and said, "Look, I'm I'm a very successful public speaker. I, I do about 200 presentations a year, so I'm very much in the public eye. Yeah. Um, and I have never been trolled, um, and no one has ever commented on my appearance, um, yeah. personality. You know, he just named all the things that are the." Uh, misogynistic tap points for for, for women. Um, he said, I have had people make complaints, but it's not in that gendered way. Um, yeah. So I think we've got to understand that, you know, our, our our society is terrified of women. I mean, I think there's something that you know, women in power really is. Do you, and, but, but do you, so you're thinking that the trolling is only happening really for women? I mean, I'm. I'm it's distinctly different for women and men. Absolutely. Right. So right. Um, I, I think the research that I'm aware shows of it's shows it's much more personal with women, isn't it? It's for women, it's around, it, and then it becomes hate very quickly. So it's usually right. around um, appearance or right. sexuality or, um, uh, you know, very personal attacks, uh, and then it becomes uh, more vehement, you know, so then you get more threatening behaviour. So if you think about one in ten people are conflict-driven, then and you look at the skewing of that is probably fairly even across gender but played out really differently. Um, Right. And people who want to instil conflict are doing it to manage their own discomfort. Um, but they don't even know what they're doing. They've got no insight often. That's that's trouble for that, that, that one in ten in the population. They lack insight into what they're doing. Their life isn't working well, but they keep doing things that make it worse. But yep. because they don't they can't reflectively think, um, you know, they're not they're not someone you can uh, evaluate what you're doing and think, well, what could I do differently? Uh, it must be somebody else's fault. So this right. pain I'm feeling is your fault. I also okay. think the other thing, I think that there's some language we need to be really careful about. You know, you said you learn, you grew up in a family where you learned about yelling. I think when ideas get introduced with um, they're abrupt or they're harsh or they're confronting, people find it very hard to engage. So one of the things we've yeah. really got to understand is that if I understand, there's a guy called Anatole Rappaport who was a games theorist um, who developed, he developed a thing called the, the prisoner's dilemma. You know, what two prisoners are, the two guys are caught for crime and each in each cell the police say, uh, you must admit to what you've done because the other guy's confessed. You don't know whether they have or not, right? So this yeah. is a game of theory about how you manage that problem. Um, but what he learned in his research is that you gain influence when you truly demonstrate to somebody else you understand their perspective. 
from their point right. of view. So we mainly go into conflict wanting someone to understand our point of view. Right. Yes, makes no, sense. It's the first thing yep. to do. Why don't you see it my way? But, of course, that just did that, and because that's what we do, it doesn't work. So, um, but it does work so much more if you spend time listening first and get someone else's point of view because they relax, they're less, they're less vigilant, they're less defensive, yeah. um, and then you put your point of view. You don't have to ever agree with them, but you can. Right. But by saying, so like, what's I, it? Oh, go on. No, go on. I was going to, yeah. So really, it's so going, oh, I, I, there's a skill in learning how to do this, but um, it's about just repeating back what people say. Like, it's just listening. It's very, not active listening. It's intentional listening. Repeating back what people say using their own words valid, and 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 helping them express more of what about what they think because often our thoughts are half formed so yes. and we don't know what the so, words are so when you facilitate that people understand their position better but when you say oh, it makes sense to me you would see it that way and feel immediately this. takes the wind out of their sails as you'd yeah, say okay. yeah yeah and, okay. and make, softens it so i think one of the things that we've had uh, is a problem is i i'm not comfortable with the term toxic masculinity um, yeah, because you know masculinity is not toxic, but some but men, there are toxic uh, people out there, women well, and men. <laughs> but you know, I think uh, I think the way we have run our society economically, um, yeah. and in the transformation in the last few years and and historically, um, mm-hmm. is toxic. And so, you know, it's, I think it's tough to be a bloke and work out what to do. Oh, totally, um, I agree. Yeah, so I think we, we, we don't want to make masculinity the problem. We do want to make patriarchy and abuse of power the problem. Um, yes. And we want to encourage responsibility because, that, that you know, once you start to take responsibility for where you are and what you've got to do, the world changes. So part of my journey has been taking responsibility for, you know, that childhood and stop being, you know, so angry with my father and being the victim in the story and, and understanding it more from his point of view that, you know, here he was, a man who was struggling financially, um, not confident with dealing with kids, um, had already lost two children, of course, which I didn't know about, um, on his own, and with this feisty young girl who didn't meet any of his, didn't didn't fit any of what he wanted around a relationship with children because it wasn't compliant. And I'd argue no. the point. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He just wanted me to agree and and be a good girl. Um, and and he had to solve that problem. And, and and he had problems with, you know, regulating his own emotions, with managing himself. So, and tragedy. I mean, tragedy. And a I mean, tragedy. He's had, a, yeah. he's had a marriage end which, which yeah. for whoever's reason it was, would have been yeah. very shocking. Absolutely. And not to have access to his children. And then he marries again. They have a child very late in the in the day, and then mm. the wife dies. I mean, that's mm, mm, yeah, mm. got to have been very traumatizing for him. But to, oh, but to go back to to the social media, um, not the trolling, the tr- yeah, yeah, the trolling. I just think, and it doesn't, and it it's interesting that you were saying around women because I hear it for both sexes that it's it's going on, and yeah. I just feel ta- like that. It, as you say, it's that ten percent of the person of the population. Mm that are those people with those disorders who are really just trying to make everyone else around them as miserable as possible. Yeah. So, so when, when you don't know how to um, regulate your own emotions, when you don't have insight into what's contributing to why you feel so bad, it has to be somebody else's problem. And, yeah, right. Um, this, and unfortunately social media gives the on- anonymity and the quickness, you know, the, the, the quick yes. response that um, is addictive. So, you know, I mean, you know, anger is a fantastic emotion, but it can be addictive. 
fear is a fantastic emotion. You know, anger helps you drive yourself towards a problem and solve solve it. Fear tells you the problem is just too big for that. You should get away. You know, fight, right. flight, freeze, and that's stress response. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the freeze part is, oh, look, if you hide for a while, it'll go away, uh, which is great if you're dealing with a wild animal in the bush, isn't it? Like I see a dingo, okay, I throw a stone, it goes away, that's anger. Um, yeah. Well, I better run to this safe spot because there's three dingoes and, you know, that's not going to work. And, oh, yeah. there's a copse of trees and some rocks. I'm downwind if I stay here. Um, they, won't they won't know me. They won't know me and that's the freeze part of it. Um, right. So helping us, you know, Dealing with conflict is helping manage stress, manage um, an investment in the other person more than you are. An investment in a relationship is hard if you're not invested in a relationship to solve things. But investment in understanding and in civility, that, that in being civil, being respectful, giving yeah. respect in when somebody else can't manage to do it and having very clear boundaries. And that's the thing we struggle with, particularly with for women. And it's that thing growing up, we were, we were told to be the better person. It's that kind of mm-hmm. mentality, isn't it? It's like it doesn't matter if they're saying things to you, be the better person mm. and do the right thing and mm. at least you'll walk away from it feeling like, you know. Mm. And sometimes you've the best done everything thing is, you to can. Do no- is to just yeah. the challenge is do I do nothing, uh, which doesn't work, or do I do something? But I think the, tr- I think the thing is that you're not, I mean, I know, I know there's a, a woman who's written a book, a great book about um, actually engaging in a tr- one, someone who's trolling her and getting them to change their opinion, but that's a lot of work. So I think oh, sometimes yes. you've just got to shut it down. Uh, you're not, you know, you're not there to change people's minds um, if people want to have a particular view and if they're uncivil, no. you don't have to contribute. Um, no, that's true. And, and the I beautiful do, I, thing about oh, – go on. Oh, I, just no, say, I think that, you know, social media organisations take more responsibility, but, of course, they've put themselves in a – great place where they take no responsibility for some of the things that the, that uh, they encourage, no. which is the, the quick But the other beautiful response. thing that, that I would encourage anyone who has had anyone being nasty, <laughs> and one of the great things about social media is you can block. You can yeah. block someone and make it that they can't even find you. You can remove yeah. all their comments. Yeah. And you may, and you can, and I noticed there's a thing that says remove any future, current and future profiles and I love that. And so I yeah, used to think, yeah. oh my God, they'll they'll come after me in some other way, but they can't find you again. So um, no, and look, I think you yeah. know, and we know things escalate dangerously, and and people may have to, you know, seriously consider safety. Some women are, yeah. uh, you know, are, yes, people become um, obsessed, and uh, but then we're talking about a very small number of of people. That's we are, and probably we're probably digressing smaller. a little. Yes, yeah, so the thing about, about trolling is, I think, is just to be able to make have a standard statement. Like you don't, you don't want to give them your energy. So have a standard statement you make about poor behaviour. You see it in all the businesses. You know we won't yep. tolerate this, and uh, it ends. And yep, that's the end of it. That's the end of it. And then you go, okay, I met another one of those ten percenters. Mm. Yeah. No, I think that's really good advice, and it's good to know that it's only 10%. Now, we've probably gone a little bit off the beaten track, but I have yes. loved hearing all of this. I'm going to ask you just a couple more questions. And we I realise we haven't even got to um, the last 10 years and um, <laughs> the fact that you've had that spinal, the spinal oh, tumour yeah, yeah. and to learn how to walk yeah, again. Yeah, you've had so yeah. many things. It's not been um, the standard route to success, has it? <laughs> no, it hasn't been the standard route to success, but you're so delightful and charming anyway. Um, one thing I'd like to ask you, to avoid burnout mm. when your business is your passion as well, mm, mm. how do you juggle work and life? What Do you do you sort of have set boundaries? 
Oh, I try to, uh, but you know, give you, you know, you alluded to the fact that I, I live with a disability and that I have a lot of fatigue, so I have to keep adjusting my right. um, my capacity um, because I, I can just, you know, I can sleep. I can just suddenly get really tired and have to sleep for three hours. I have no choice. I will just have to yeah, shut down. Good. Uh, if I get neurologically overloaded because I have a spinal cord injury. But that's good because you're listening to your body as yeah. well. I mean, so, I guess I, I asked the question <laughs> on the back of so many women that have pushed through, mm. pushed themselves too hard and then ended up spending a year in bed because, yeah. I, look, you know. I, I exercise. I am just really diligent um, and a little self-critical, but I'm really diligent about <laughs> exercise and it makes a huge difference. It's a, and, be, and also because it – you know, because of what I do, I teach people about managing stress, and so exercise makes you burn off anger. Right? Gets all the right. all of the energy that fear and anger and you know hiding and all the stuff that we're doing around stress it burns it off. So, um, you know, it's oh, not that's just, good advice. Yeah, it's not just strolling; it's actually getting a sweat up. Uh, so, right. one of the things that I think that I like to say is walk on a treadmill with a smile. Force yourself to smile <laughs> while you're on the treadmill yeah. because. Um, it will change the way you think. So that's that's yeah, amazing. You know, um, go to a boxing class and really beat the death out of someone that you're really annoyed with with a smile because it actually neurologically is confusing to go. I'm really angry and I'm filled of you know all this anger and I'm smiling. Um, another way okay. I think to um, manage burnout is to inv- invest in other people. So and that can be strangers in the street. So if you're really feeling down and, you're, you know, like you've got to that cross business and you're going, I can't stand this anymore, go out and go go somewhere publicly and make five people you don't know smile. Oh, what a lovely, I love, that is actually yeah. the best advice I've heard <laughs> ever, I think. Because and it's something that's very doable. And it, Well, it's free. It's cheap. Yeah. And um, it can be the barista pouring you the coffee. You know, it doesn't have yeah. to be. But but what it means is you have to engage with people, and it take it means you know we oh I hate people I hate the world, but you are people, you are the world, and one That's of the things right. I've learned in you know in, the, in things that I've had to live with, particularly living with a disability and learning to walk again and being very frightened, is that I'm not alone. You know, there's people far worse off than I, and people far luckier than I, uh, but it's all random. I've got no control. Yeah. Um, luckily I studied Buddhism for about 12 years and so I don't practice anymore but there was some good learning in that and that was, that you know, if we treat anger as things we're angry about as our motivation, we transform them rather than, you know, raging. Um, So, you know, when you want to shout sometimes, you know, with your family dynamic, it's really good to go, oh, maybe I should listen. Because oh, that's yeah. one no, well, thing I they didn't we did teach me. As well. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, when you when you want to hide and run away, sometimes it's just good to sort of really stay still. What 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 am I frightened of here? Because one mm. of the challenges I got early on in recovering and learning to walk was a, a mentor said to me, "Well, your choice with fear is either to to go into it or to be creative." And I had no idea right. what he meant. But I have, I have, you know, shocking pain management challenges. They were even worse back then. And so I went, okay, I will think creatively. I, every time I have to manage, you know, a wave of pain or something or other, I will just try and take something. I won't follow the fear. I'll yeah, do okay. something else. Um, and so that led me to be just being learned to be kinder to my body, you know. I had to stroke a, I have a left hand that does weird stuff. 
Um, <laughs> it, I can't put the hand, my hand in the fridge without it hurting because it doesn't like cold. It can't touch rough metal. Oh, right. Yeah, it gets hypersensitive to touch. So I just I spent mm. a couple of years just soothing my left hand going, it's okay, hand, we're in this together, you know, when pain hit, just to change the story. And I think that we are we are incredibly imaginative, creative people. Um, when we can bring that creativity and imagination in a very flexible way, then we not only expand our lives, but we'll expand the way we deal with relationships. We span, challenge, you know, our assumptions and our stereotyping um, and we manage conflict better, you know, and we, have, we create much, much better relationships when we practice imaginative thinking and practice. I wonder how they see it. Yes, I think that, I that, that whole how thing they is. see it. And it probably yeah. is totally different from me. So can I suspend thinking about myself for a little while to be curious enough about what that's like Why for somebody else? Why they might else? be reacting that way. Yeah, yeah. I wonder because um, if someone's defensive, it never works. So when you see someone irritable or uh, whining and complaining or uh, taking a moral high ground, it looks angry. But it's possibly that person feels hurt and it's defensive and you might have done something you didn't even realise you did, offered a little criticism or something that was uncomfortable that you weren't aware you did because you have it, but it's had an impact. And you always use the behaviour. And then you'll misinterpret the behaviour. So yeah. I think learning to um, be less judgmental and go, oh, I wonder what I – have I contributed something to this <laughs> rather than yeah. it's all their fault. No, very true. Yeah. That, that's yeah, a, no, that's so, so that's, true. That's sort of the basis of my, the model that I've developed around uh, conflict, which is this conflict confidence. So um, years I like ago it. I went to a time management workshop. I don't manage time at all well. But the one thing I learned was this concept that confidence is a skill. It's the ability to predict with reasonable certainty the outcome of your actions. So you want to be positive right. and confident. You want to predict with reasonable certainty. If I do this and I do this, it will lead me in the direction that I want to go. Right. In conflict, most of us have negative confidence. We go, I know all the things that aren't going to work. I predict if I say this, they'll get angry, and if I do this and I'll do this, and the evidence comes yeah. and it's not right, I'm not accurate, I'm not on track, so it must be their fault. Yeah. So then when we take responsibility for that, we go, okay, I'm doing things that aren't working and I don't know what else to do. My family didn't teach me anything. How else will I learn to look after the myself and the people around me? Well, like, that, that's why I'm here because like everyone else, I really struggle to learn that. But, boy, investing in the learning of it has made a huge difference in my life. Huge difference, and yeah. I, I, and, you know, I think I'm – I think it creates the possibility for intergenerational change because we're all carrying, you know, the shame and trauma in our families from our parents' lives and their grandparents' lives and on it goes, war and poverty and all sorts of other circumstances, alcoholism, you know, it's all in everyone's story. Um, If we take responsibility for what that means for us in our life and what we want to create in the future, so keeping that future focus, you know, where are we going? No, I'm not stuck in the past. Yes, I think that, yeah, I think yeah. that's exactly we want, right. We want to take this. And, and she's the boss, you know, like what on, you're doing in She's the Boss is brilliant for that because it's a generous generosity around connecting women and highlighting um, the things that various, you know, women in business are doing. And um, that, that vision, that generosity makes change. 
No, it's a very valuable thing Good, to do. Well, I yeah. hope so. <laughs> and on this note, Elizabeth, I'm going to have to wind it up, but I have loved chatting with you. Now, if anybody would like you to either come into their workplace mm. or to have a chat with you about their relationship mm. or themselves, mm. what is the best way for them to get hold of you and where can they find out more about okay. you? So if you go to my website, which is elizabethwilliamsonsolutions.com, um, you can find all about the services I offer, whether it's um, individual counselling or whether it's uh, family or couple counselling or, or, or family mediation if you've got a ongoing dispute in families around estates or things like that yeah, or great. just life. Uh, and then I um, consult uh, and train in businesses. Often what happens in a business is um, you, it, what looks like an interpersonal conflict, you know, they don't get on is actually the first evidence of something more systemic. So I just yeah, worked right. with a, an organisation where they, they thought they kept having conflict that it must be just not, they're not hiring the right people or this is one person who's too abrupt. Um, and while some of the staff might could improve their communication skills if the organisation invested in personal development, all the issues arise from their governance and management and their poor decision-making. Ah, interesting. And they haven't taken responsibility for that. So, you know, coming in and helping people see, well, shine the light on, well, what's really behind this? Uh, and then who has, make who, a has huge to lead? Difference. who has to lead and how can yeah. you be uh, proactive so this doesn't happen. Fantastic. And, yeah, so. Well, thank you very much, Elizabeth. So Elizabeth Williams Solutions. Williamson, Williamson Solutions. Williamson Solutions. Williamson Solutions. Yeah, and com. I'm au. always available by phone um, and email. Okay. So there are, all that information is on my website. Um, Brilliant. And you, can, and you can book an appointment on my website. I've always got a 15-minute free consult to just talk about ideas. Oh, that's great. See if I'm the right person well. for you. Well, thank you so, so much. Thank, thank you for you. this great interview. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au. 